Want a fresh take on what's going on with the Saints, LSU, the betting world, and the NFL? Then you pick the right place. Jim Derry has plenty of datitude, and he's ready to tell you the way it is. Well, the way he thinks it is. Where you at, New Orleans? And hello to all my friends around the country who have watched the NFL playoffs. They have watched the Super Bowl, and now they've come to the hard realization, the truth, that it is... Oh, yeah. It's over. Football is over, boys and girls. What do we do now? Basketball, baseball, golf. Every year it hits me. You know, it really hits me before the Super Bowl is over. I've told you this before. Um, Football is basically over when the championship games are over. Because the Super Bowl is just a... It's a, it's a, it's an event. It, it's like, I don't know. Most of the time, you watch the game and it's like somebody's chewing in your ear. Somebody's offering you some pretzels. You want something to eat? No, just I want to watch football. I mean, and you know, I've been criticized by some of my friends, even my coworkers. You're a nerd because I don't watch the halftime show. I put it on the NFL Network. I don't care about Eminem or Janet Jackson's wardrobe malfunction or whoever. I don't even. I can't even tell you who, who's been in in halftime shows. Though Madonna, how long ago was that? I didn't even watch that one. I don't know. I don't care. It's football, and football's over for a while. So what are we going to talk about? Guess what? Football. Yeah, that's what today's show is going to be. I am Jim Derry in my long-winded intro. I am Jim Derry, sports betting writer at the Times Picayune, the advocate at bet.nola.com. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is apropos. It is Datitude episode number 56 for a Tuesday, February the 15th, 2022. It just so happened, I didn't plan it this way, that episode 56 is our first episode after Super Bowl 56. And guess what? Programming note, episode 57 is going to be special. Well, it's scheduled to be special. I haven't talked to him yet. Uh, I have reached out to him, and I've been told that he's going to do the show. Who would be better to do episode 57 than the greatest number 57 of all time? That's right. Ricky Jackson is scheduled to be on Episode number 57 on Friday. Um, Again, I have not heard back from him yet, but I am told through a friend that reached out to him for me, he said he would do the show. And I've got both fingers crossed, and I tried to cross my toes, but I got a cramp because I'm 53 years old, and that didn't work. So that's the plan as of now. Also, a program a note for you that after Friday's show, I am going on vacation. I need a break. Um, Zach Ewing, our sports betting director at the Times-Picune, bet.nola.com, the advocate. Um, He is going to Europe for three weeks, so I'm going to be kind of in double duty after Mardi Gras. So I'm going to take a 
a little mini break before then. Uh, so that's we will not have a datitude until the after this Friday until the Friday after Mardi Gras, whatever date that is, March fourth, I think, somewhere along those lines. So we're gonna take a little break and we will be back. Um, I'm sure you'll miss us. That's okay. You can reach out to me at jderry at theadvocate.com or at Jim Derry Jr. on Twitter and leave me a little note. Tell me you love me. Tell me you don't like me. Tell me my picks stunk. They didn't stink in the Super Bowl. One guy said yesterday on the Bayou Bet Show that I said the Rams were going to cover the spread and that he bet against me and that, thank you, Jim Derry, I won because I bet against you. I didn't tell you to bet the spread. I didn't tell anyone to bet the spread. I said my opinion was if I had to bet the spread, I would take the Rams. But my, my official betting analysis told you to pick the Rams in the money line, and I was right on that. I was right on a lot of other things too. But, you know, we don't want to over-inflate my, over-inflate my ego here on this show the fact that I have a show is enough by itself. And the fact that at least seven people each week listen to it is a wonderful thing. Datitude. That's what I have. And I thank you for being a part. All joking aside, I thank, um, I thank everyone for being a part of it for uh, this long, almost six months in now. And we keep growing and growing and growing. And we're going to come up with some plans in the offseason to make this show even better next football season. We are thrilled about that. But we're not going anywhere. We're just taking a quick break, and we will be back um, after Mardi Gras. But we still have this show and the next show on Friday, which is going to be great. Because along with Ricky Jackson, we also have uh, Mike Triplett of ESPN is going to be coming on Friday's show. And Devin Jackson, I told Devin Jackson and Spencer Urquhart, they were on different sides. Spencer picked the Bengals. Devin picked the Rams. I told them that whoever was right, they were going to come on the show after the Super Bowl. Devin was right because I was right. And so Devin's going to come on and we're going to just talk about it for a little bit. So Friday ought to be an interesting show. Today, Jeff Duncan and I are going to talk about the Super Bowl and recap what we saw. And Uncle Big Nick's going to come on after that. And I'm telling you, like I told you last week, we have Adam Chernoff, who was outstanding had an outstanding betting analysis if you listen to it you know what i'm talking about he was great and he was right uh and i cashed that johnny hecker bet to the bank over longest punt over 52 and a half yards Ching! right in the bank uh he helped me with that and uncle big nick has been on fire when it comes to golf picks he's picked the last three outright winners in a row now granted you say, how do you do that? I mean, he picks more than one. But he has been on fire as far as winning money in golf because he's been able to pick the outright. That is really hard. Even if you pick 10 or 15 guys and you, you bet it different ways, he's going to explain how he goes through his process and maybe help you win a little cabbage because St. Patrick's Day is coming up too. We could use cabbage, corned beef, sure, whatever. Whatever you need to help put in your pot, Uncle Big Nick's going to help us with that, and it's time to shift our focus anyway. Before we get to Dunk, because it's something I am going to talk about with Duncan, what did you think of the Super Bowl? 23-20, to 20, Rams win it. Now, I know that 
almost everyone listening to this podcast was rooting for Joe Burrow and the Bengals. And in a way, I was too. Um, I've told you before, I, I didn't really care who won. I mean, sure, I probably got a little bit more betting-wise because the Rams won, but I was going to win if the Bengals won too because of my futures that I had already made. That's right, Uncle Big Nick. I'm saying it again. I had futures on both teams. I was going to win either way. That being said, it is hysterical to me that yesterday morning what I was reading on social media, and this is why you take social media with, is there something smaller than a grain of salt? I think a grit's a little bigger than a grain of salt because you probably can't go there. I know a corn is bigger than a grain of salt. I'm trying to think of something smaller than a grain. Is a grain of sand smaller? I, I don't know. Whatever's smaller than a grain of salt, that's what I take social media as. But the conspiracy theorists were out in grand form yesterday. So no longer did Roger Goodell and the NFL hate the Saints. On Sunday, Roger Goodell and the NFL hated the Cincinnati Bengals. It was a grand conspiracy, those calls at the end of the game, those ticky-tack calls. But no one wants to mention the, the grabbing of the face mask of Jalen Ramsey on the first play of the second half. Oh, no, no, no. They just missed that one. Come on, people. It's not a conspiracy. Lee Harvey Oswald is dead. So is Jim Garrison. There's no grassy knoll in football. The whole field is a grassy knoll. Okay? It's not a conspiracy. No one wanted the Bengals to lose. Whether they got the call right or wrong, I think, I personally think they got all four of them right, by the way. Holding is holding. And the guy had, was wrapped around the receiver with his arm like he was hugging him. Now, I know Valentine's Day was the next day. But they could have hugged later. Regardless of whether you think that it was a bad call or not. Okay, I mean, I, if you think it was a bad call, great. I, it's a valid opinion. Because it is an opinion. But what's not an opinion? There's no conspiracy. And the right team won the game. Because the Rams dominated the Bengals after that uh, no call. I I don't like to use the word no call because it brings up nightmares. After the no call on Jalen Ramsey getting his face mask spun around to where he looked like Danny Werfel back in the late 90s when he got his head knocked off against the Panthers. I mean, it mistakes, whatever you want to call them. The Rams dominated. The Bengals scored three more points after that in the second half. They had 17 points. Their over-under for the game was 22-and-a-half or 23 at some places. And anyone who thought that it wasn't going over at that point was probably a little cuckoo in the head. And it didn't go over. And the game total didn't go over. And it is what it is because the Rams, Aaron Donald dominated that second half and should have been the MVP. All things we'll talk about with Jeff Duncan coming up. But I, I had to make that point before we get to Dunk. And, uh, you know, interestingly, as we get into this conversation, 
I asked him last night, I'm like, can you come on for 20 minutes? And I really thought it was going to be 20, 30 minutes. I thought this was going to be like a 50-minute show or maybe an hour. No, it turned into longer than that. We talked for almost an hour and 10 minutes. But we started talking, and everything we talked about was great stuff, as usual. And Dunk always has good things to say. We talk about the Super Bowl. We talk about some things that may change in the NFL. We talk about where the Saints are. We talk about Dennis Allen. We talk about Alvin Kamara. What the Saints might be thinking in the draft coming up. Obviously, that latter part of it we're going to talk more about as we get into April. But, um, yeah, great stuff. Let's get into it. I've talked enough. Welcoming into the Datitude podcast on a Tuesday morning, our own columnist, Jeff Duncan. And, um, Dunk, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a weird Tuesday morning. We don't have a lot of football to look forward to. The Super Bowl's over. So I guess the only thing that we have to look forward to is you getting your ass kicked again in fantasy baseball. Yeah, we'll see about that. I'm still a little <laughs> bitter about you beating me in the, uh, the picks this season. You had you one last shot me. last weekend. I know. I, I, and you overtook me about mid-season or maybe even early part of the season and never relinquished it. I was impressed. Yeah, it was you. I mean, it was clear. It was you and I uh, going to the end there. And uh, But I will say this. I, I don't care. I'll toot our horns. You and I were both phenomenal. Um, when you go, I was 30 games over 500 against the spread um, in the catching of the Carville, and you were right behind me. You were on my tail the entire time. I think you finished – 27 games over, whatever it was, 20-something games over. You put our, our picks together, and I know this. When you and I picked the same thing, it was, almost a, it was almost a lock. Yeah, I do remember that because I kept trying to go opposite of you. When I do, I would, I would lose a game, so that was the strategy. But mm. we'll see about baseball, man. I'm feeling confident this year. I hope we have baseball. But, uh, yeah. Well, it's I'm feeling gonna, confident yeah. for once. Uh, well, I'll tell you, it's, it's, it's frustrating, and I don't want to spend too much time on baseball but, uh, because we don't know what's going to happen, but we know that spring training is not going to start on time, and it is frustrating watching these, um, these multimillionaires and some billionaires argue and squabble over something that, I mean, they could lose everything. I mean, I don't think baseball realizes what position they're in. Um, they're teetering on the uh, – the brink of just no one cares. Well, uh, it was always said that like deadlines spur action and you think they would have had this done beforehand, but these things never get done. They always go to the end. There's always, it's all negotiating ploys and the fans are the ones that lose out because, uh, you know, this year I was actually looking forward to going down and going to some spring training down in Florida and, you know, when's that going to happen or is it even going to happen? So I'm kind of bummed about the whole thing. There's no doubt about it. And, I mean, it, the longer they go with this, the, the longer people are just going to start to tune out. And, uh, I mean, guys like you and I who love the sport and love baseball, um, you know, you're a big Giants fan, I'm a big Cubs fan. Uh, you probably have more to look forward to this year in baseball than I do. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you get to a certain point where you're tired of, and it works in, in the NFL, too. And the NFL has been really good about figuring out ways to avoid these situations. I know they have another one coming up, I believe, in the NFL soon. But it, it, it doesn't get to this anymore in football. They always figure a way 
to avoid these situations. And for some reason, you know, and hockey has the same problem and they have been able to avoid irrelevance to, to a certain extent with baseball, man, they're, I just don't understand what they can't figure out. Yeah. And, um, you know, look, they're all trailing the NFL right now, right? The, the NFL is a Goliath, but it can turn, you know, it's, it, it, the turn of the century, baseball was the, was the Goliath. I mean, horse right. racing and boxing were big. And look where those sports are now. So uh, the NFL has a little bit of an existential crisis of its own with just how violent the sport is. And we see it almost every week, J.D., with um, guys out, you know, more injuries than ever, concussions. Uh, I know a couple of Saints players this year, they haven't written about it, but a couple of them who – whose wives wanted them to retire in, in the middle of their careers because of their concussion issues. So uh, this thing could turn, and uh, I'm not saying that the uh, NFL is going to go away anytime soon, but right. it can happen over the course of a few decades like it has with baseball. Man, you see football players getting stronger and stronger and hitting harder and harder. And, um, you know, I don't know, we don't, we, we, I don't know, joke's not the right word, but, you know, we're a little bit, sarcastic i guess on the way that they they're able to hit and we talk about how tom brady was able to have a career so much longer than guys like joe montana who knows how long he would have played had the rules been the same but you know the nfl is doing what they have to do to keep themselves um on the forefront of safety and they, for the most part they do a pretty good job it's it's not maybe the game that some of us old guys uh remember and and like to see but they got to do what they got to do. And you, and you think about guys like, you know, Junior Seau, who, you know, that that went through the things he went through in his career and ended up, you know, he ended up, you know, passing away. And uh, you look at it, a lot of a lot of it had to do with probably all the hits that he took throughout his career. You know, I'm working on a, a project right now with Steve Gleason and going back through yeah. a lot of the uh, stuff with Steve and, um, you know, early in his career, he, he had, I found some old interviews I did with him where he talked about what it's like to run down on a kickoff in the NFL. And he said, you know, it was, it was really eye-opening to me. He talked about how violent it is. Uh, you really have to almost lose your sense of logic and rational rationalization because it's so illogical what you're doing to your body. You have to lose that fear. And he talked about having to adjust his – his speed in the NFL because players were so much faster uh, that, you know, if you dove at your target, you could miss it by two inches. And that could be the difference between blowing the guy up and missing him completely. He said, it's just, it was mind boggling for him at first, the speed and how he had to adjust and recalibrate to succeed in the NFL. And, and this was a guy that was undersized by NFL uh, linebacker standards had to, make the transition to safety and become a special teams player. And some of those, those some of those hits he took, I'm sure have contributed to uh, his condition right now. I mean, we don't know that for sure, but it certainly is not without merit that that could have happened. And um, you know, the violence of that game, uh, hopefully we're getting past that. I, I will say, I think the game's evolving and I think we're going to continue to see it evolve. I, I notice it every year, the new equipment, the new helmets, we're seeing all kinds of new new things to adjust to the athletic, uh, you know, prowess of these guys. How big and strong they are, 
and making it a safer game so we can still enjoy it without the ramifications we see on some of the players. And, and to that, I think there's going to be a day in the near future where they're going to find a way to eliminate kickoffs. I know that we've been talking about it for a few years now. Um, and it kind of gets me because they, they're obviously putting emphasis on the, the, the le- fewer returns we have, the better. And you see more holding calls and blocking the back calls and just basically deterring you to even return a kick. So, I mean, we're going to get to a point, I think, and I don't know what that would do for the onside kick and we'll have, they'll have to figure that out. But uh, we're getting to a point, I think, within 10 years, there won't be a kickoff anymore. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it's easily the most dangerous play in sport. There's nothing close to it. And I can even see, you know, Sean Payton's been a big proponent of eliminating artificial turf. And I could yeah. see a day where we get away from that. I mean, these teams have enough money. Good Lord, we know they have enough money to care for grass fields. And uh, there's all kinds of studies that show. We saw what happened in the Super Bowl with Odell Beckham Jr. His foot yep. caught, and it looks like he tore his ACL. Now, look, that happens on, on grass, too, uh, but it doesn't happen as often as it happens on turf. Uh, just ask Jameis Winston, unfortunately. Yeah, I think about Deuce in, in Green Bay and him tearing up his ACL. I was on grass. I mean, that was the first one yeah. that came to my mind as far as big ones in, in Saints history. Um, changed his career. I, I don't think Deuce was ever the same after that. Um, but, no, he wasn't. And, it's hard. Uh, it was hard back then, too, to come back. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a guy that, that uh, has no ACL in either knee. I mean, I've my playing one, one in flag football, one in basketball. And back then, the, the, the recovery and the surgery was so arduous, uh, my doctor said, hey, you, you could get this done. We'll open you up. It's going to be like a year over a year. Or, you, you know, you're not a professional athlete. You can still run. And I still run to this day without ACLs. But my days of, like, going side to side, playing tennis and racquetball or skiing, uh, I had to give those up. And that stinks for someone that likes to be active outdoors. But – uh, back then, the procedures that even Deuce had aren't nearly as advanced as they are today. Guys can get back in six months, uh, and it took over a year back, you know, 20 years ago. Look at Cam Akers with the Achilles. I mean, that you know, even three, four years ago, the guy blows Achilles, he's done, I mean, for the yep. year, and he's never the same again. I mean, so the fact that a guy like Cam Akers was able to come back and play in the playoffs, I was astounded that he was able to come back. And played well. And Quan Alexander did the same this year yeah. with the Saints. I mean, he started slow. I remember at one point talking to Deuce. Uh, we do, you know, we both are analysts at Fox 8. And we were talking one day uh, in the studio. And Deuce said, I don't know if Quan's ever going to get back. And this is like his second game. He goes, he's lost his explosiveness. And sure enough, two weeks later, he had the best game he's ever had. He got better and better. So it took him a little while to round into form. But once he did, uh, you know, he played as well as I've seen him play in his career. Sports medicine has absolutely inv- uh, evolved and will continue to evolve. And uh, I don't even, I don't know if it's a great thing or not. I mean, it's a great thing to get them back out there, but I don't know. I, I need some studies done on what are the long lasting effects of turning these guys around so quickly. And I know they're super athletes, but it's scary to think. I hope we don't find out 10 years later or 15 years from now that, repairing these ACLs and doing Tommy John surgeries and, and Achilles uh, 
repair is that they don't do some kind of irreparable harm to these guys. It's really kind of scary, and I, I feel for these guys. I hope we don't find that out later. Well, what I would really like to see happen, and I'm probably you know a little bit of a lone wolf on this, but I just think the sport needs to evolve as far as uh, the owners are concerned. They need to yeah. agree to expanding roster sizes. I mean, it's silly 100%. that there's only – 40 something players are available during a game. That's an archaic rule. Let these, let them have 60 players available on a game day or 70 and, and let and the coaches have to evolve too. And they have to understand it, it needs to be a little bit more like the NBA where players can maybe, uh, you know, have a little more downtime. You don't have to play the entire starting offensive line, every snap of the game. Right. I've, I've always heard this stuff about, Oh, you lose continuity. No, you don't. I mean, guys come in, you might lose a little bit, but we see it every week, J.D. I mean, a guy gets hurt, some backup comes in, and, and they don't immediately start giving up sacks. I mean, they're professional athletes too. And, and, and subbing out guys where they, they have a little bit of load management at the NFL level reduce the number of times they're taking on these hits. And I think maybe we can extend some careers. You might not see – uh, look, look, look what the Saints did this year with Cam Jordan. He used to play 98% of the snaps. This year he started rotating out, and by the end of the year he was fresh and playing better at the end of the year than he was at the beginning. I think some of these things we just need to see the sport evolve, and I, and I think it will. Even if you look at the Super Bowl, the Rams, Aaron Donald doesn't play every play, nor should he. Right. Uh, no, and, That's what I'm saying. They rotate in and out. It, defensive line, they do it. Offensive line, they act like it's the greatest crime of all time. They all have to play together. And I know that there's a little communication. Get over it. Move past that. That's like that's like dinosaur thinking. You can sub out guys. Uh, and we saw it happen with Odell Beckham Jr. He went down. And there was like a crisis. Guys came in, made some plays, you know, and they won the game. I mean, it, it, you can play with backups and, 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 and maybe rest guys. Maybe there's, a, maybe there's something where you have, you have to rest the player. Every player has to have a bye week also, team imposed. And there's a little strategy to that. Maybe we figure things out to where these guys can – because they're going to go to 18 games, Jim. They're, it's yeah. going to happen. So right. you're going to have another game. So that's more snaps. So let's add to the rosters. The owner's got enough money. The, the one thing the NFL is doing is making more and more money every year. They can afford to pay more players and have more players on the roster. And I, and I think they will. And I, and I agree with you 100%. I think they will. Um, and you see rosters. And to me, you look at basketball, you look at hockey, they, they are great at figuring out rotations. The best coaches are, I mean, look at Willie Green just with the Pels and how this team has evolved over this year, the course of this year, and figuring out rotations. I mean, C.J. McCollum comes in the first two games. They're terrible. And Last night against the Raptors, they figure out a ro the rotation was a lot better. McCollum starts to feel his teammates a little better. They're, they played excellent last night. And to me, that has a lot to do with this young coach. And again, I'm, we're not going to talk too much about the Pelicans, but I think it's just an example of rotations. And a good coach figures out the right rotations. And you could do the same with an offensive line in football. A good coach is going to figure out, we've got eight or nine offensive linemen that are going to rotate in at different times. Now you might have your left tackle in for an entire series, but then the next series, maybe you go with something a little bit different. So I think you're right on track. Yeah. And, and look, we've seen it happen in major league baseball. Remember the Cal yes. Ripken playing, you know, 
And that, yeah. that doesn't happen anymore. Stars rest and it's okay. I know the public pays and you want to see that star when you come to the game. I get it, but it doesn't mean that we can't evolve the sport for the betterment of the big picture of keeping these athletes healthy long-term. And baseball's done a little bit better too with making their rosters a little bit larger and also making more players available to be called up faster and, yeah. and easier and all those things too. All right, let's uh, Jeff Duncan here on the Datitude podcast. Let's talk about uh, the Super Bowl and your initial thoughts. And, um, you know, I, whether you picked the winner or didn't pick the winner or picked it right against the spread or didn't pick it right against the spread. I think the game was a lot like we thought it would be um, a tight game. Now to me, I was a little surprised that the Rams didn't take charge a little bit more in the second half. I think that first play of the second half um, really kind of set them back. And if that play doesn't happen, I think the Rams win. I don't want to say easily, but fairly easily by seven or 10 points. They made a lot of mistakes in that game, but it was what we all wanted. We, we don't want blowouts in the Super Bowl, and we certainly got what I thought was a pretty darn good game. Yeah, I, I thought it would be higher scoring. That was the one thing I was wrong on. I, I was, once that second half started the way it did, I felt certain the over was going to cover, uh, and it just leveled out after that. Cincinnati, I thought, got – kind of conservative a little bit. And, um, you know, looking at it, obviously the Rams' defensive line, we knew that was a huge advantage. It played out that way. I thought knowing that, going into the game, knowing it, we saw two key, actually two or three key parts of the game where Cincinnati had short yardage in the first half at midfield. Uh, I think also late in the game on the last drive. I think there was another drive before that in the second half where they had maybe a 3-1 and they didn't get any of them, ever. And I just right. felt like at that point, Zach Taylor, Brian Callahan, they needed to understand they weren't going to get it running ball with Pirine up the middle. I mean, that's get more creative. Figure out a way to get one or two yards. They did it a couple of times. They threw a, threw a little swing pass out to Jamar Chase and converted one. They needed to do more of that, I felt like, to win that game. Because I think that game was there to be won. And Rams made those plays, but I didn't feel – I didn't feel like it. It's, I felt somewhat akin to probably what Saints fans felt like sometimes when they, they boo Sean Payton in those short yardage situations where he he just tries to run it right up the middle or go with Taysom and it doesn't work. That, that's what it felt like to me. But having said that, Aaron Donald was easily the best player on the field. I Zero think he cemented question. his legacy. He cemented his legacy as a first ballot Hall of Famer. I mean, the, the guy was unbelievable. Uh, you know, he, he single-handedly destroyed any hopes the Bengals had of coming back and winning that game. And um, he was a difference maker. And, and, look, you have to give the Rams credit. They had all the pressure on them. They fell down in the game after a couple of bad breaks. Uh, I mean, they gave up that long pass on a, a – you know, could have been an offensive pass interference, and then they get a deflected interception. That's a big double whammy at the start of the second half, and they overcame it. And that's what I talk about a lot of times when you hear people complain about bad calls. You hear people complain about a bad break. You got to overcome those things. It happens in this sport. It's one of the things I've, I've talked with you about on the program before. Sean Payton's great about don't make excuses. Figure out a way to overcome it because these things are going to happen. And the Rams, you know, rallied around it, dominated the rest of the game, and ended up winning. We're going to get to the conspiracy theorists in just a minute. 
um, because there are a lot of them. It's it's amazing to me that all of the Saints fans who think the Saints, the NFL hates the Saints, um, they were all the NFL hates the Bengals this weekend. That that we're going to get to that in just a minute, but because I certainly don't believe in that. But here's one thing that I think has legs. When you talk about conspiracy theorists, this is one problem that, and, and it's not a huge problem, but it is a problem nonetheless. Now that betting is available, and sports writers, they bet on it. People that cover horse racing, they bet on horse racing. So you can bet that sports writers are betting on football, okay? Here's one problem with sports writers being able to pick who the MVP is in this game. If you bet, made an 8-1 to one bet on Cooper Cup to win the MVP, there is no way in hell that Cooper Cup was more important to the Rams on Sunday than Aaron Donald was. And you cannot convince me that Aaron Donald wasn't the MVP of that game. Well, you're right. But I can tell you this. I'll give you a little insight into that because I voted before on the Super Bowl MVP. And they come and give that ballot out. They give it out like early in the fourth right. quarter. I mean, it might even be in the third quarter. It's way way too early because they've got to get it, collect the votes, then get down and do the presentation. They, I've complained about this to the NFL before. They, they should wait till the end of the game. If you waited to the end of the game, it would have been hands down Aaron Donald, but they, they asked for that vote early in the fourth quarter and you're missing the end of the game. How the game's decided. Uh, so what's the I latest you could turn, what's the latest you could turn that thing in? They come around and, and ask you for it. So there's no, like you don't turn it in. I mean, they come around. And uh, I just I just know it's done way too early, and this is the result because Aaron Donald. I mean, Cooper Cup was a was a had a great game, but no Aaron Donald that. was the difference. He, he was the difference. Aaron Donald was definitely the difference, and I think because most of his impactful plays came really late, uh, people that had already turned in their votes. I'm sure well, they would rather voted for him and changed their vote if they had a chance. Well, and I I need I would need to go look at back at the play by play, but it, if that's the case, then. Cooper Cup, okay, so you turn it in the middle of the fourth quarter. He still only had one touchdown, and he had like 30 of his yards on the last drive. So that means when they turn their ballot and he had like 60 yards and a touchdown, which, don't get me wrong, is fine. But Aaron Donald had already had two sacks by then and was a clear dominant force. It makes no sense to me. It was a, it was a weird – I was thinking about it as I was watching the game. Who you would vote for if the Rams win that game because there really wasn't – Somebody just stood out to you. It That's reminded right. me a little bit of that year when the Bucks won the Super Bowl and uh, what was his name? Smith, the, the DB. Dwight Smith uh, wasn't. It? Was it Dwight? Yeah, Smith? they ended yeah. up winning it. I mean, yeah. I think he had like a, a pick six. Like who do we pick? I mean, he yeah. didn't really. Yeah, he didn't really dominate or anything, but it, it was just kind of one of those games where it's hard to find an MVP because everybody kind of contributed. I thought the Rams had a lot of contributors, but no real standout other than Aaron Donald. Well, I hope in this day and age, and I know that that reporters have to get ready to go down and, and do interviews, and when the game's over, they got to get rolling. It's it, Let's go. Um, but they need to find a way to have some kind of secure electronic thing where you can just go. Only the reporters have an invite to whatever it is. You click on it. You decide who you're voting for or do it in an email or whatever. There's got to be some kind of electronic way where you can do it, and the, and the tallies up. I mean, we live in 2022. You talk about things that are archaic and and rules that are archaic, and I totally agree. There's no reason why you can't do this electronically. 
No, no, I know this is what we do, like the Heisman and, and other other votes like that. And I think, look, I, the way I remember it, and again, I could be wrong because it's been a while since I did it. I think there's a lot of people vote. I think it's like yeah, maybe 30. So even if you were biased and you said, I'm going to vote, you're one of 30. It's kind of like it reminds me a little bit of the Hall of Fame. And maybe we talk about Sam Mills during this podcast, but you know, we've got one of the concerns we had on the Hall of Fame selection committee was we added a, a former general manager and a former coach because we wanted to have their input. But we ended up adding Bill Polian and Tony Dungy, both great, I mean, both Hall of Famers themselves, obviously great careers, great insight, but both of them have ties to the Colts. I mean, Polian was a GM there a long time and Dungy was a GM. And now you've got Reggie Wayne up for as a finalist. Well, I mean, they're going to be biased, right? I mean, they, they they were close to Reggie Wayne. That's a concern, but when you have 49 voters, they get weighed out. And so I think that'd be the same case on this situation. Yeah, but here, here's what worries me about a live game. And I've never voted for Super Bowl MVP, and I've never voted for uh, I've never voted for college national – oh, no, maybe I take that back. I have voted for college national championship MVP uh, once. But the, the, here's the thing that worries me. Being – covering high schools for most of my career. I know that when I'm at state championships and there are probably eight or 10 of us that vote on a, on a state championship MVP, there are probably, we probably four or five of us that talk of us so we can get a consensus. I mean, it's, and we put a lot of thought into it and, and it matters, but right. if I will say this, if I'm sitting next to Robin Fambro and I'm torn between who I'm going to vote for player a or player B and Robin says she's voting for player B I'm probably going to vote for player B too. So I know that happens in an NFL press box as well. I mean, you're so tight and you're going to look at the person next to you, who you're voting for. And they say, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So when you're talking about 30, if you get four or five that have a consensus, I mean, I don't know. There's just got to be, and that's not going to, that wouldn't change that part of it, but it just worries me now that betting has become, and I'm the sports betting writer. So I want there to be betting. But it just worries me that, um, that that kind of bias, if you put in an 8-1 to one bet on Cooper Cup before the game and you didn't bet on Aaron Donald and you think that Cooper Cup, it just, there's just so many things that come in and I don't know how to You're always going to have that, budget. You're always going to have know, the human element. I know, I, mean, I, I know. What, what, if you're the, what if you're the national anthem singer? You can control that bet. Yeah, 100%. You could say, you could say all right, I want, I want 100 of my friends to go out and bet whatever the limit is. I know they limit that. Right. Maybe it's a thousand dollars and you could make a hundred thousand dollars like that easily. Well, just by well, and, and one, of, one of the handicappers that I, that I respect and listen to one of his big prop bets was, and I don't know what happened because I didn't go back and look at this and I didn't bet on it, but he said that the over under on how long the national anthem would be, would be a minute and 45 seconds. And he had somebody on the inside telling him that in rehearsals, it was taking a minute and 51 seconds. So go bet the over. And he had hit like nine or ten of them in a row, so he, he yeah. knew how long they were taking. So yeah, you're right. No, if you get if you get, I thought about it once. Uh, you remember the the, the famous uh, dome coming game, you know, yeah. Superdome in 2006. One of the lucky things I got to do, one of the coolest things I've ever done in my career, I got invited down to the rehearsal for U2 and Green Day, uh, the pregame oh, wow. musical act for that game, and I sat there for two hours in the Superdome right there in front of the stage watching Bono and Billy Joe Armstrong. It was amazing, J.D. I mean, one of the coolest parts of the whole experience 
And I just remember thinking, you know, someone can do this for the national anthem and they would sure. see how long they could time it. They could time it and figure it out and, and make that bet if they wanted, because you get, you got inside information. It could be a stadium janitor who is, uh, you know, or anyone that works in, it could be someone that works inside the NFL and is like an assistant to the assistant who is there every year. And he makes $80,000 a year. And if some bookie is going to give him, you know, a couple, you know, a couple dollars on the side, he's going to tell him. I mean, it, you know, let's, let's be realistic. I mean, you know, I could tell you no, that he's not, he's not asking. It doesn't even have to be anybody that has control of how long the national anthem is. But if you watch them, I mean, and I look, I've been part of national anthems in, in big games before. Uh, being in the band at LSU and and then being in, the, in other bands later on uh, before I became a sports writer full time. But there are different things. You, you know, you practice it probably five, six times. And so people watching it, well, the average was a minute and 51 seconds. There you go. So anyway. I would want, I would want if I'm going to go over, I would want some healthy cushion there because I think your <laughs> adrenaline might be up when you're actually singing sure. live and you might go a little faster. I would want a few second cushion before I would trust uh, putting a ton of money. It was probably easier in the day when they actually pre-recorded like Whitney Houston, the greatest national anthem of all time, right? That was pre-recorded. She was lip syncing. And I mean, that's okay. It's still the greatest national anthem all time. She still sang it. She was just lip syncing the, the, what she had already sung, which is fine, but they knew exactly how long that one would be. And you have to wonder if Ford got out on that anyway. But I think, I think Mary, Mary J. Blige was definitely lip singing the other night. And I think Eminem was definitely lip singing. I mean, I don't know if the other guys were, but watching it, I don't know how I can't in that situation to get the sound right. And they're jumping around, you know, doing all this choreography. It's got to be taxing physically. I'm sure uh, it's probably better for the audience and for everyone that they do have it pre recorded. Well, I'm not going to. Uh, I was still watching golf when Mary J. Blige was singing the national anthem. It went into three playoff holes. It was the craziest. I mean, they got lost in the shuffle. What a golf tournament that was, the, the Waste Management yeah, I Open. I agree. And then, That's a um, great golf tournament every year, too. It, it really is. It's, it's fun as hell. And then national, I mean, halftime show, I'm, I'll just be straight up. You can call me a geek or whatever you want, but I don't watch halftime shows. I turn on the NFL Network at halftime. I want to hear about football. Um, just, I mean, it, this is about football. Hey, but you miss that cool puppet show that was done right out here in uh, Harahan. The companies from Harahan had a two minute commission by the NFL, like animated puppy. Really? Uh, the show. Yeah. That Keith Spiro wrote about, I think it's called Swayback Studios owned by Arthur Mintz and Teresa Anderson, the musicians. And they got commissioned by the NFL to do this two minute incredible like commercial with all these animated former players and current players. It was really cool. So you missed that, J.D. I did miss it, and um, I think I still have it on my DVR, so maybe I'll go back and watch it. I don't know. I haven't watched it yet, but all my uh, – all my uh, not all my friends, but a lot of my friends were texting me about whatever, and I'm like, I'm not watching it. I'm eating nachos, and I'm watching LT talk about what he thought about the first half. That was more important to me. I, anyway. I, was, eating, I was eating nachos, too. That's funny. Well, yeah, we had a nacho and taco bar. My wife, you know, my wife had the spread, so – you know, I would, she asked awesome. me in, in the first quarter if I wanted to eat. I'm like, I'm not eating right now. This this the game's on. <laughs> I can't waste yeah. any time to get up. <laughs> All right. And before we move on to the Saints, um, I do want to touch on because it has to do with the Saints. 
Uh, 98% of Saints fans this weekend were rooting for the Bengals. Um, and 99.9% of them that didn't have any money on the game were rooting for the Bengals. And here we go again. Conspiracy theories. The NFL, now they hate the Bengals. I mean, it, it, those calls at the end of the game, first of all, when I watched them, I didn't, and I don't go on social media during, during games. I wait till after. Sometimes I don't even go on at all. But I couldn't help myself. Till, and I went on after. But it's amazing to me how if something doesn't go your way, the NFL is rigged. I mean, the worst call of all time is, is the is, – now you could make a case that the game was rigged there in the no call in the Saints and the Rams and this rough officiating crew from L.A., Maybe, maybe there, there, maybe it was rigged, and maybe they're just were just incompetent. I don't know, but you can make a case. Other than that, games aren't rigged. They make whether they make mistakes or not. Personally, I thought all four of those calls that people were complaining about were the right calls. But I mean, just help us, Dunk. You're usually good at getting people knocking the jolt of reality back in people. Tell us that it's not rigged. It's definitely not rigged. I mean, it it can't be rigged. But I mean, look, it was a bad. I thought it was a bad call against Logan Wilson. I think they hadn't been calling it that way all game. They were letting him play, and then to make that call right then was to me a bad call. But it's just it, when it happened. I mean, it, just think about it the other way. If if the no call happens against the you know Jalen Ramsey on the first play of the second half, if that happens at the end of the game, everybody's saying it's rigged the other way. You know, because of the, the timing of it all. I mean, I think these plays, we've talked about it before, these these bad calls even out. It evened out there. I mean, that was definitely a face mask against Jalen Ramsey. And it was a 75-yard 75 yard touchdown. It turned the game around. So, you know, those things happen. I actually thought the crew did a good job. They let them play, man. They, but they did they an outstanding job. They wanted that game to move. That's the thing people don't understand is the, the pressure from the NFL isn't necessarily – on, you know, let's call something against a certain team. It's more, let's let, unless you're, a, it's egregious, let's let the game flow. That's why they didn't call the, the quick jump by the tackles. They got the early start on that snap, and a lot of people are talking about that. They didn't call that the whole game. Did they call one, maybe one false start the whole game? You know, I think they, it was one false. I think there were only, I think before that drive, there was something like five penalties called throughout the entire game. Yeah, yeah, it's the same reason if you've seen these games. I think there was – I can't remember what game it was, Jim. It was a game where there was a couple of really close – it might have been the Bills-Chiefs uh, game in the playoffs where the ball went all the way – the clock, the play clock went all the way to zero. Yeah, they snapped it. And it could have been a delay game, right? It probably should have been a delay game by the letter of the law. Right. But they let that thing go in in, in – and the thought is, let's keep the game flowing. We throw a flag, it moves you back five yards. It's not really affecting the game itself. So that, that's what's going on is they're trying to keep the game flowing, keep action, and unless it's egregious, they're not going to make a call like that. And I like that personally, but it can lead to some incongruities or inconsistencies when you see one of them made and not the other ones. The only place I disagree with you is I think that it was actually a good call. I thought that it was holding, and they had, he was wrapped around. They did a little tug. But the point of it is, whether we agree or disagree, the fact that we don't see that play the same way means it's not an egregious call. 
I mean, and I think a lot of people see it differently. You know, of course, if you're a Rams fan, no, no way it's holding. If you're a Bengals fan, of course it's holding. But as, I mean, I got to be honest, I don't really care. I mean, I, sure, I had more bets on the Rams and my prop bets, and I win more money if that's probably if that's called. But in the grand scheme of things, I was going to win money no matter whether that's called or not. So I, I was, I think I'm pretty unbiased. I mean, I was rooting for Joe Burrow because like everybody else is rooting for Joe Burrow, but at the same time, the Rams win. I don't care. I just wanted a good game. But the fact that we see things, you and I who have been watching this game for several decades now, and we look at that play and see it a little bit differently shows that it wasn't egregious. Yeah, no, it definitely was not egregious. And it's a judgment call. And that's, that in his judgment, he got a he got a, a handful of his jersey, which he did. But I didn't think the jersey grip caused enough of the you know yeah no I can disruption see that. of the route. And yeah. that's a judgment call, and that can go either way. But it's not 100%. it's not some conspiracy where the league office has got a microphone in his uh, you know in his yep. ear saying throw the flag okay, throw the flag. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's just, that's just silly. It's silly uh, to think that way, and it just doesn't happen. Like they but like they have like they. Forward. Like they have meetings and they sit. If if you get there and it's close at the end, make sure you throw that flag on the Bengals. Right. It's just silly. I mean, you can't it destroy the integrity of the game. And the reason the NFL is so popular is because we believe in the integrity of the game. And I, what I came away from that game feeling was once the Bengals address their offensive line, they are going to be a juggernaut. And I yeah. think they'll do that this offseason. It's not going to take much. They just need to go out and get. I mean, they were missing Riley Ralph. You know, they're. they're the right tackle, and it was a clear yeah. drop off. But once they address their offensive line, they'll be fine. You know, and I know there was controversy over them last year, maybe taking Penny School and, and not Jamar Chase. And I think they did the right thing. Chase is obviously a generational talent. They can get some offensive linemen, maybe not Sewell-level talent, but guys good enough, uh, to, you know, to block up front and protect him. And once they do that, it's going to be lights out, man, because that kid – he reminds me so much of Breeze in the way his demeanor. A hundred percent. Yeah, he does. He's his body language, his leadership ability, all the intangibles that go into it, that, that go into greatness. He's got it. And uh, it's just a matter of time that he wins a Super Bowl, in my opinion. Uh, the way he handled himself after the game, like he handled himself after every other game, <clears throat> I thought was super professional level. I mean, it, it, the guy's just, you talk about he's got it. I mean, he's really got it. And barring injury, he's going to be around for a long, long time. And he's going to be talked about uh, as one of the <clears throat> big quarterbacks for a long, long time. I thought the easiest, the easiest prop bet going into this, these, this Super Bowl, I mean, it was like stealing. And I don't, I'm, I'm upset with myself that I didn't bet, bet even more on it. But the sacks totals, over five total for the game between the two teams. Because you knew Stafford was going to get sacked too because the Bengals have a pretty darn good pass rush as well. But to have five total sacks a game and then Rams more than three, to me that was like stealing. Yeah, I agree. And, and it, you know, the Bengals had a good plan there in the first half. They, they were protecting pretty well. And then give credit to Raheem Morris and the Rams. They made some adjustments. And then Aaron Donald just turned it up. You yeah, know? I, it and that's over. what I – yeah, I knew he was, was going over. to. And they did yeah, a great once job. he does that, it, it, it starts creating other opportunities for other players because they have to start doubling him. And, uh, yeah, that was an easy prop bet. I, I totally agree with you. 
And, um, you know, I came away from that game having a lot of respect for the Rams coaching staff. I thought they didn't have a lot of things going their way, and they stuck with it. They didn't panic, and they they managed that game. You know, hear Sean Payton talk about that a lot, managing the game. I thought they managed that game well. They kind of said, oh, look, we had some bad breaks here at the start of the second half. We're not going to panic. We're just going to keep after it. And, it, and they, they dominated from that point on. I mean, the Bengals scored, what, did they score three more points? Uh, maybe maybe no more points, I think, after that tip interception. Tip they did score again. They, they, yeah, they had to settle for a field goal there. That was a big series right there. Yep. The, the Rams defense holding them to a field goal I thought was critical because that would have been a much bigger lead. It might have forced them out of their game plan. So they were able to stay in their game plan and keep after. Mm-hmm. I thought both teams shut down the run pretty well. I know the Bengals ran it okay. Uh, but uh, I, I think both teams have a lot to be proud of. The Bengals have a promising future. And the Rams, look, give them credit. They went all in. They did all these trades. They got criticized by a lot of old guard NFL people. You don't trade all your picks. You don't do it. And it paid off. They won a Super Bowl. Yeah, Jeff Duncan here on the Datitude Podcast. Yeah, they did score that one more field goal. You're right. It was 13 to 10 at halftime. And I had the Bengals under 22. So I had to sweat that 22 and a half. I did have to sweat that because one more field goal, I'll lose that bet. Yeah. Um, it looked like it looked like Burrow was going to drive him down and get that tying field goal. You got a couple of big completions there. And then that's what I was talking about. That sequence, that third and one was huge. I mean, that's a big play. And I've seen Sean Payton, I've talked to Payton about those plays. He's a big believer, and you you go you get aggressive there. You don't yes. try to run it up the middle because they're going to do exactly what happened. They they run blitz, and that then Perrin was like this far short, and then it was over after that on fourth down. You you put him in a really tough situation. The third down was the key play. I thought Zach Taylor did did not do a very good job. Um, you talk about the coaches. I thought McVay did an okay job. I thought the play calling was a little. Uh, I guess too tight. I mean, they were determined to find a way to use acres and look, here's a prop that I had. I had acres over rushing yards. I knew they were going to try to, to, to use him as much as they could, but at some point it ain't working. Let it go. And I thought, I thought he was, I thought McVeigh was a little, I get you're, you're trying to say, this is our game plan. We're going to do this by God, but at some point stop doing it. It's not working. It, it, it never changed. He never got free. Um, so I thought McVay was a little tight, but I thought Zach Taylor was I, – I, I don't get what he was trying to do at all. Um, and it kind of shows to me that, you know, you do so awful the first two seasons you're there, and then you have this lightning in a bottle. And I'm not so sure that even with a great offensive line and Joe Burrow that <clears> – <throat> I hope I'm wrong because I really like this team uh, – but, and I don't, you know, it's easy to root for a team in the AFC so you can root for the Bengals. But I'm not so, I'm not fond of Zach Taylor. I'm just going to put it that way. Well, put it this way criticizing play calling goes with the territory. But I also think, like, sometimes it comes down to the, you know, we don't see it, the execution of the player. I mean, I like You're that right. call Sean McBay had where he had the reverse to Cooper Cup. Yeah. To get the first. And that, oh, the I fourth mean, down call with Cup? That was an excellent. That was outstanding. That was yeah. wide open. That was wide yeah. open. I'm talking about the one. I'm talking about the, no, I think it was a third down, wasn't it? Oh, the, I thought you were talking about the fourth down run with Cooper Cup. That was, to no, me, the best no, call of the game. The, the third down reverse where Cup had Stafford wide oh, open. Oh, right, and he misses the pass. Out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he misfires it over yeah. his head. I mean, that's yeah. not play calling. That's execution. And that continues a drive. Maybe they get a touchdown there instead of a selling for a field goal because the execution by 
by the players sometimes. You know, well, I thought once McVay finally gave up his stubbornness, which Sean Payton was also guilty of it at different times. Um, we've talked about in the past, Sean Payton says, I got this play in the playbook. I'm going to use it by God. Um, and also, you know, running too much at times. But um, I thought McVay was a little stubborn. And once he finally, I think middle of the third quarter, maybe towards the end of the third quarter, he finally said, okay, he gave it up. We're not doing it anymore. And after that, the Rams were clearly the better team and were able to get something going. And I got to be honest. I know people are going to disagree with me on this, but if you're going to pick an offensive player for MVP, I'm not uh, always a quarterback guy, and I know he threw two picks. But to me, Matt, Matt Stafford in the fourth quarter was phenomenal. I mean, I he, 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 he did everything he needed to do. It wasn't just Cooper Cup. He found the open man. He was in complete control. And if you're going to give it to an offensive player at the end of the game, I got to give it to Matt Stafford because – Again, I know he threw two picks, and I get that, and you don't want to give it to someone to, to interception, but they don't win that game if Matt Stafford doesn't play like the player they thought he was going to be in the fourth quarter. I'm with you, and I thought, look, I thought both those picks were, neither one of them was really that bad. He, he threw the first one up, and he's hoping his guy yeah. goes and make a play. That's a 50-50 right. ball, and you could see the way he looked at Jefferson, like, go compete for that ball. He didn't compete at all for that ball. Yeah, I agree. If, if nothing else – he needed to dang interfere with him and not let it get picked off. So I didn't think either one of his picks were that bad, and I'm with you 100%. He won the game for him. He made all the big plays down the stretch with a lot of pressure on him. Yeah, he was the MVP on offense, but Aaron Donald was the MVP of the game. I mean, it's, that's just the way that I see it. Yep. All right, let's talk about, before we let you go, um, I know this was, good. this was supposed to be a 20-minute, 20, 20 or 30-minute interview, and it turned into a little bit longer than that. But uh, you have such great insight, and – Again, I can't thank you enough for helping make this podcast uh, to be what it is because it's grown exponentially the last couple of months, and a lot of that has to do with you. So I, I, I really thank you, and people listen when you come on. I want to talk about the Saints now, and um, you know, we, we talked about Dennis Allen, and obviously all along you thought it was going to be Dennis Allen. And um, just your, your thoughts of where this team is right now and how much – change is there going to be, obviously any coach that comes in is going to want to put a stamp on things and we've already seen that a little bit how much are they going to try to stay on course and how much are things going to change well i think it's going to be a little of both i mean i'm not hedging on that i mean i, I think he's going to for the most part i think they're going to keep things the same but i think there's going to be some tweaks especially on offense we've seen it already with the coaching staff uh, I was told early on that he was going to make a lot of changes to the offensive staff, and I don't think he's done yet. I think we're going to see a couple more. Uh, I don't think it's been announced yet, but Curtis Johnson's not going to be part of this staff. Um, they're, you know, they're going to move Pete Carmichael into a little bit of a lower profile position, and that's, from what I understand, and I've not talked to Pete Carmichael, so uh, I'm a little leery of commenting on it, but I think it's, from what I understand, it's his decision to move in this direction that he could have been the offensive coordinator if they wanted, but uh, he didn't really want that without Sean Payton there, who basically was the offensive coordinator. So I think Pete, Pete's fine. He's on board. He's going to be heavily involved. Uh, but and we all know that Doug Marone's been brought in. He's going to be the offensive line coach. Brendan Nugent looks like he's going to the Chargers. I don't know if that's been announced, but 
Brendan Nugent was a good coach. That surprised me a little bit. But Doug Marone's a very good offensive line coach as well. So it's, I think this is Dennis Allen wanting to put his stamp on things and show uh, – maybe shake things up a little bit. You know, Sean Payton did that when he came in. There's something to be said for kind of, you know, upsetting the apple cart a little bit early on and letting people know that we have them on edge. Payton always believed in that. And I, I don't know this yet for a fact, Jim, but I suspect – that a lot of what's going on is also through advice and consultation with Sean Payton. Like I think Dennis Allen is going to lean a lot on Sean throughout this early part of his tenure. Now I'm not saying it's always going to be that way, but I think early on Sean has had a lot of input. I know they, they talk, you know, I think we'll see that uh, Sean still keeps his fingerprints on this program, at least initially before Dennis kind of blossoms and takes over. You know, that's no different than when Sean took this over the Saints, how much he leaned on Bill Parcells. So right. it's, it's proven that you you lean on someone who knows that they're talking about and you don't have too much pride to say, no, I'm going to do things this, this way or that way. I'm sure Dennis Allen learned a lot with his first stint in the Raiders. And if you got a guy like Sean Payton to lean on and he's willing to let you lean on him, why not? Yeah, I, to- I totally agree. And, look, I was really impressed at Dennis Allen's press conference. Uh, you know, I've interviewed Dennis a million times over the years. That's easily the most personable, most confident I've ever heard him. Um, I came away really impressed with uh, his plan, his vision. Uh, he didn't, he didn't blink at any of those questions. We were asking him a lot of different things. Uh, he was ready for that press conference. And I think he's ready for this opportunity. He, he acted like a guy that's been thinking about this happening and and was really excited about it. You could sense he was excited about it. So I'm actually very confident in Dennis Town. But the thing that I'm most interested in seeing play out with him, and I I think sometimes we overrate the X's and O's part of the game. Sean Payton was an excellent offensive X and O guy, right? I mean, he was he was a guru, but his greatest strength, at least in my opinion, was the intangible stuff, you know, the confidence, the swagger he brought, the ability to, to manage the entire building, to work with players like uh, Mike Thomas and Jeremy Shockey and deal with that. I had a conversation with him at that dinner that we had, uh, you know, after after his farewell press conference. We had a dinner with Sean, and I remember asking him how he dealt with Mike Thomas, and he said he's just like Jeremy Shockey. He's got trust issues. And you have to get in his inner circle, and there's not many people in his inner circle. So it's hard to get in there. So these kind of intangible things are what I'm talking about that, that a head coach has to do that maybe you don't see behind the scenes. Can Dennis Allen do those things? Is he going to be able to handle a crisis like Alvin Kamara right now? Or That's where I was Mike going Thomas, next. If he, if he acts up, right? Those are the things we don't know. And, and those are big things that Sean Payton was great at, more than the play calling and the – and the game planning, which he was also great at. How do you handle all these other things that go into being an NFL head coach? We don't know that yet about DA. I think you start with, and he's already got a head start on this, is to, to me the unquestioned leader from a player – well, there are two. The two un, unquestioned leaders from a player perspective and in different ways are Cam Jordan and Demario Davis. And you get those guys on board. And I know they're both defensive players, so it's different when you're talking about the offense. But you get those players on board, and I think he has that. Then, to me, 
the other things start to work out. The Mike Thomases of the world are going to trust you more. If Demario Davis and Cam Jordan trust Dennis Allen, then Mike Thomas is more likely to trust Dennis Allen. Yeah, there's no doubt. There's a, look, there's a huge presence that's going to be missing in, in basically a year and a half. The, the locker room has lost Drew Brees and then lost Sean Payton. They were the two pillars of leadership in that building. And there's going to be a vacuum there. Who steps forward? Well, I think Demario and Cam are definitely the two players. There's got to be, I think, an offensive guy in there, whoever the quarterback is. That's a natural Agreed. position to take. Yeah, but um, can they fill that void with Sean Payton? I mean, he he was great at that. He was great at managing people, understanding different egos and personalities and balancing that and getting everybody to buy into the team concept. And, and I think Dennis Allen's got that in him. I, I, you know, I learned more about his background uh, leading up to that press conference. You know, his dad was a coach, was an NFL player. So he comes from a football background. It's kind of been a part of his life, uh, his whole life. So he might get those intangible qualities that, that, um, that we're talking about because I think that's going to be important going through this transition where they're not going 13-3 and three every year. They, they're going to have some adversity, and how do you handle it and manage it? And I tell you, Jeff Duncan here in the Datitude podcast on a Tuesday morning, I, it, what makes me nervous and leery, I guess, about going, not nervous, but leery, I guess, about going into the season is now we're going to have a couple months of uncertainty here before the draft. I mean, they, they, this Alvin Kamara situation to me is a much bigger deal than anyone is talking about. I mean, he's facing potential felony charges, um, which if you – if he's found guilty on a felony charge, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. He's going to jail for at least a year. That's done. Um, so they may be able to plead it down on misdemeanor, and we'll find out. But the NFL, to me, is going to come down harder on Alvin Kamara. We don't know how long he's going to be gone. I think it would be a complete shock if he is suspended for any fewer than six games. And I think there's a realistic chance. I'm not saying it's a great chance, but there's a real, realistic chance that Alvin Kamara doesn't play football in 2022. And so regardless of we're not going to know right away, I know he goes to trial in a couple of weeks, but Dennis, this is one of the first major crises that Dennis Allen's going to face. Every coach faces him, but this is going to be a big one and it could affect the way the saints approach the draft. Yeah. I mean, it's a curveball that, you know, nobody prepared for and it's very uncharacteristic of Alvin Kamara. Uh, obviously I'm sure he's disappointed but my guess on this, and this is strictly a guess and speculation, is uh, he's going to end up writing a big fat check yeah, and getting, no that, getting those charges to go away. Now, that's going to cost him a lot of money, and it's going to keep him probably, uh, you know, his criminal record clean. But that's not going to matter to the NFL. You're right. They're still going to weigh in with some discipline. And I think a minimum we're looking at right now is four to six games. That's a minimum. And uh, it's not going to matter if, if this guy drops the charges, because um, especially once that video comes out, if that video looks bad, there's going to be a public outcry for some kind of discipline. It's the same thing that happened with Ray Rice. If Ray Rice, the video doesn't come out, it's different. Joe Mixon, it's different than when people see that video. And if they see an innocent man laying on the floor and Alvin Kamara hitting him, as we've heard is in the video, it's not going to be good for Alvin Kamara. That's what I'm talking about. And the NFL is, has shown, and rightfully so, 
that they're not going to put up with that. And it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter what your reputation was before. Um, I'm all about second chances. A hundred percent agree with second chances, but I'm also, you can't let things go because you let one thing go and you don't, and you're not consistent with your punishments. Then a, you're going to lose respect of a lot of people, but B you put yourself in a, in a position where you're in trouble legally at some point, if you don't, if you're not consistent with, with disciplines. And we've seen in the past that the NFL, when it comes to this kind of stuff, and you talk about the video, when it comes out, I think they're going to be put into a position to where they have to come down hard on Alvin Kamara. Yeah. Uh, look, uh, he made a mistake where he, now, of course. maybe he wasn't thinking clearly or not, but, but he also kind of misled the police, right? He said yep. that the guy was running away. That's, I mean, how many times, I mean, my parents were one of the first things they told me, do not ever lie to the police. That's the worst thing you can do. Yep. So, so the Las Vegas police department probably not going to want to go easy on him either. Uh, so yeah, the district attorney, in other words, isn't going to go easy on him. So in my, if I'm representing him and I've talked to a couple of attorneys in town, their advice is going to be, let's, let's get, make this go away because they're going to have a pretty strong case against you with video evidence. Let's try and make this thing go away and, and settle out of court. And I think that's ultimately what's going to happen here, but that doesn't ward off punishment by the NFL. I don't know, Donk. I'm not sure Johnny Cochran rising from the dead could make this completely go away. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. But how, how do you think, knowing what we know now, and again, I don't think we're going to know, before, I don't even think by the draft we're going to know fully what's going to happen with this. How do you think it affects the Saints' thought process? I mean, clearly running back is not going to be, wasn't going to be high on the priority list. But if you're going to be without Alvin Kamara for any period of time, I mean, maybe you think a little bit differently. Yeah, well, I mean, they had a little bit of a trial run last year, right? They played four games without them or four or five right. games. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe you Didn't look at that well. in the draft. I, I'm, I'm, look, Alvin Kamara is a difference maker. Don't get me wrong. He's a he's an elite talent, one of the probably three or four best running backs in the league. But, um, you know, you can survive without Alvin Kamara. The, I think the biggest question they got is the quarterback position. I mean, if Alvin Kamara, his role became so much more important because the Saints didn't have a great quarterback. If they have a great quarterback or a good quarterback, uh, suddenly, you know, you can get by without having Alvin Kamara back there. I mean, we, we saw the Rams this year play without Cam Akers, you know, and yeah. I'm not saying Cam Akers is Kamara, but he's a good player. Well, they had Sonny Michelle and Daryl Henderson too. Yeah, well, they traded to get Sonny Michelle. So I'm just saying you can – they can get a third round, fourth round running back, I think, and, and, and survive if they don't believe Mark Ingram's got more, more left in him. They can figure that out. I think on the fields, they'll, they'll have time to plan and figure out a plan. Maybe they go out and get another Latavius Murray, yeah. a low-budget yeah. uh, veteran free agent. Um, but I, I think without question, quarterback is the number one thing. And Dennis Allen said so at that press conference. I asked him about it. And, I mean, it's the number one thing, and I don't see an easy solution right now because the draft is not great. The one guy I know that are really high on, Kenny Pickett, is going to go really high. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's going to go in the top ten. I know right now he's not projected. Guarantee you, when we go through this draft process, people are going to fall in love with his intangibles, and he's going to go up high. So I don't think they're going to get the one guy that they really like. Uh, and then you're looking at free agency. The two top free agent quarterbacks are Jameis Winston and Teddy Bridgewater. 
So yeah. it's it's not a great time to be in, in need of a quarterback. No, and, and I mean, Saints fans probably don't want to hear this, but I, th- I think, again, nothing against Jameis, but I think that Teddy Bridgewater probably suits this team a little bit better than Jameis does. Jameis has more talent than Teddy Bridgewater, but I think that Teddy probably suits this team. He's been here. He's familiar. It would not surprise me at all if Teddy Bridgewater is kind of a, and again, I hate to use this because of, it's not fair to the player, but a stopgap kind of yeah. quarterback to come in and play here for a couple of years until they can figure out their quarterback situation. And I think Teddy can lead you to the playoffs. Whether you can win a Super Bowl, I don't know. Maybe. Depends on how good your defense is. But I think Teddy Bridgewater would be a, a fine fit to come back here. I mean, it worries me a little bit. Maybe, maybe I'm being unfair to the Saints coaching staff because I think their staff is clearly better than the Broncos. Yeah. The Broncos, in a lot of ways, are like the Saints. I mean, they got a good defense. They're talented on defense. They got a decent running game, but they're, they're passing attack. And the fact that, that he couldn't really lift that team uh, worries me a little bit that you bring him in, you're really going to be just kind of treading water. But that may be where they're at. I mean, that's why you get I'm the right high. OC. You get the right OC, and I don't know that that matters. They didn't have the yeah, right. Yeah, and OC. you may be right, but that's why I'm high, and I know I know a lot of people aren't on Jimmy Garoppolo, but I think Garoppolo can be that same guy. No, right? I agree. He can come in a, a better version of Teddy Bridgewater, a guy that he's a veteran leader. I mean, players believe in him. He knows how to win. He doesn't have to be a superstar, and you can see. I mean, he, the guy knows how to win, and uh, but it's going to cost you something. But I don't think it's going to cost as much as people think. I think a trade for Garoppolo is going to be, you know, a second-round pick or something like that. And I think it's well worth it with this team right now. And then you worry about your long-term quarterback. But the problem with Garoppolo is I think a lot of teams are going to be interested in him. But not only Tampa Bay Buccaneers now looking for a quarterback, the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, there's a lot of teams like the Saints that have good rosters that now are in need of a quarterback. And uh, they're going to be attractive competitors to the Saints. There's no doubt about it. Um, but I still think, I, I mean, I think quarterbacks, the, the position you go after in a trade or a free agency, not that there's much in free agency, but um, it, you're right. I mean, it, there's no quarterback in the draft. I mean, even Kenny Pickett, I'm not sure that he's ready to come in and start right away. Maybe he is, maybe right. he isn't. And he I don't may, know. Yeah, it may take him a while. You're right. And That's I, a and great I, point. So maybe I, love you Matt, go, I, I love Matt Corral too, but I mean, he's and he's injury prone, but again, I don't think there's a single quarterback in this draft. That's like a Justin Herbert or somebody like that. That's able to come in and start right away. I don't either. And we saw look into the struggles, you know, all the quarterbacks had, except for maybe Mac Jones, all these rookie right. quarterbacks struggled mightily and they were higher graded prospects than either Corral or Pickett. So yeah, I'm with you on that. And, and but I do think with Dennis Allen, as head coach, you're going through a transition. Maybe they're a little more inclined to go with a rookie quarterback because you've got a maybe. little bit of a longer runway with Dennis Allen than you did with Sean Payton, who's always about win now, win now, win now. Maybe DA allows you to go go in that direction. Well, I will say this, um, and Saints fans don't want to hear this either, but I would not be opposed to, to, to going that way. If they see a quarterback that they can develop, I, I don't, I mean, I, I don't have a ton of high hopes for Ian Book, maybe. Uh, but uh, if you're going to do that, now's the time to do that. Because I think this team is unfortunately about to go into, I don't want to say full-blown rebuilding mode, but there are, a lot of, there are a lot of things to fix right now. And I just don't see this as being 
a Super Bowl team in the next year or two. And so if you're going to do something like that and you're going to revamp and you're going to go along the lines of a, of a rookie quarterback or a young quarterback, now's the time. And I would say that I agree 100%. And I'll probably write this soon in a column. I might wait Thanks a little fans bit. Fans don't want to hear that. You know, the, draft, the draft's a long way off, but this is a huge draft for Jeff Ireland and the Saints. Yep. I mean, the yeah. last big draft they had was 2017. I mean, they've had some decent players they've added from each draft since then, but they need another gonzo draft. They need another 2006, 17. I mean, that's unrealistic to expect to get that kind of haul, but something close to it that they can build around because they're going to have to start shedding some of these veterans and they need some young prospects that they can build around another core. And uh, it's a draft. I know, remember, I remember talking to Jeff Ireland on the field before the Patriots game and asking him about this draft coming up. And he said, look, it's, it lacks a lot of elite talent. Uh, it's not very deep at the very top because it's really deep mid rounds. And if you think about it, that's because all those players opted in and played an extra year. So there's way right. more prospects. Right. I think he told me like no year, there might be 900 prospects this year. There's like 1200 or something. So I would trust if I'm a Saints fan, knowing how good Jeff Ireland and his staff are, they're going to be able to find some good third, fourth round picks. That, and we've seen it over and over. You know, CJ Gardner Johnson's guys like that that end up being really good players. Alvin Kamara. They can, yeah, Alvin Kamara. They're going to find some guys in this draft, but you don't want to give up too much of those assets trying to trade for a quarterback. And and they're going to get some some picks in return. We know from from some of the the the, the fact that Terry Fontenot left. So they're going to have some some draft capital this year. But I think they need to hang on to it because I think they're getting ready to go through this transition where some, look at their, some of their best defensive players, Cam Jordan, Demario Davis, Malcolm Jenkins, they're all in their 30s, man. they got to start getting some young right. players on that side of the ball. Last question. Um, this is a little bit off of a tangent, but it has a little bit to do with what we've talked about today, and that is we do know that the, the schedule is going to go to 18 games, whether it happens in the next two to three years or whether it happens within five years. It's going to happen. I agree. Um, if they expand the rosters, which I think they would have to, can we go back to having at least 12 rounds in the draft? I mean, I, if we have more spots, I don't understand why there are only seven rounds in the NFL draft. And I agree. I understand that it takes a long time and whatever, blah, blah, blah. It used to be when I was growing up, there was 17 rounds. And yeah. I'm not saying you need that many, but I don't understand why we don't have at least 12 rounds of a draft. I think maybe the PA voted that in. Like the Players Association doesn't want too many rounds. They want some of those lower, lower round guys, and, and they want the, they like the flexibility of undrafted free agency to allow players to You're be able to pick those their spots. You're hurting those kids. I'm just saying. I think it was a players' association push more than a league push. That was probably part of a collective bargaining agreement negotiation to have a smaller draft. But I'm with you. I like having uh, longer, especially that third day. That third day is fun because the picks are coming quick. You know, and, and I can see the league. The way I see this thing going, J.D., I'm telling you, I'll be probably long gone, retired. But I think we're going to end up, the draft has gotten so big, I think we're going to end up with uh, each day is going to be one round of the draft. Like, I think we're going to have a seven-day, week-long draft. Because it's gotten so big, Why not? you can't have enough pro. You can't have enough programming. People love it, and and I could see adding rounds to it just for the television revenue, and maybe it, maybe you course 
the players association, hey, we can make millions more this way. It's going to be more money in your pocket. We just add 10 rounds and have five days to draft, two, two rounds a day or something. I could see it going that way. I, I agree with you. And, uh, yeah, you're not retiring anytime soon. You're not going anywhere. I don't know, man. Getting old, <laughs> getting old, man. Breaking down, can't run anymore. It's, uh, <laughs> I, and I, I was the ultimate old man. I got to tell you this before we, before we go. The ultimate old man at the uh, Crew de Vue Parade the other night because, you know, I, I was with some friends that had never been to really a real Mardi Gras experience. So I let them get up front into the melee. And uh, I was perfectly content to sit back, drink my cold adult beverage, and about three or four people deep and just not get into that fray, let them have at the front row. And I don't think I caught one thing. I don't even think anybody could see me because I'm not that tall in the third row. And I walked away from that thinking, you know, I would never have done this five years ago. I'd have been right up in the in the mid kind of fight and elbow people. And I said, I don't need that anymore in my life. Well, I'll tell you what, I, what I'm going to do is next year if uh... – if a, if a spot opens up, or a lot of times they have temporary riders because, you know, people don't ride certain years or whatever, you're going to come ride with me in Endymion, and, and, uh, and, and you can do that before you can't stand up for eight yeah, hours. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Seriously, I'd love to do it. Uh, uh, I've always wanted to do that. I've never gotten in, into, the, uh, into the ride yet. It's the so greatest it's day of the year. Yeah, it, it's a bucket list thing. I'd love to do that at some point. I know I've got some buddies in Toth. I think you used to ride Toth, didn't you? I did. I rode in Toth for 15 years. Yeah, I got some buddies in that that have said the same thing, and that, that actually starts well to start not this year, right near my house right now, right up near Children's Hospital, uh, and I know there's a, a little movement afoot to try and get that at least a walking parade before we get to the start of Toth. But yeah, I've always heard you feel like a rock star, and I want to I want to experience that. Nothing against Toth. I love my Toth brothers. I enjoyed it again for 15 years, but and I rode in Bacchus too. There is nothing like riding in the crew of Endymion. So I, I mean, it's just. It's, I got, a, I was in it in the late eighties, got to ride with my dad for a few years, um, went to some other parades and loved them, got married in a Mardi Gras parade and a crew of Morpheus in 2008. Um, but, uh, there is nothing like riding in the crew of Endymion, making that turn off of Carrollton on the canal and seeing just the sea of people. And I can't wait to do it. I haven't done, been able to do it for two years. I can't imagine what it's going to be like, um, as we start to move back towards normal life. I'm, yeah, I'm thrilled. Yeah. Uh, I'll, so. I'll take you up on that. At some All point. right. Well, we'll do, we'll do it soon. And uh, again, uh, my thanks to you for helping this podcast podcast grow larger than I than I thought it would get in our in just six months. So thanks again, man. Yeah, anytime, buddy. And uh, let's talk again soon. We will. And enjoy your Mardi Gras. And I'll talk to you before then. You got it, buddy. Awesome, awesome interview. Every time Jeff Duncan comes on the show. Uh, I'm hoping that next year uh, we have a regular segment at least. Um, I think we're going to be working towards that. Um, you know, one of the things I loved back in the day, and it wasn't that long ago, so I'm, I mean, I don't know if I should call it the day, but uh, being able to, to fill in on the Duncan Holder show, um, I love Larry Holder. I, I, you know, I've never reached out because I don't know how the athletic feels about uh, cross-platforming. But I need to, and uh, if Larry is uh, able to do the show, I definitely want to get him on. He is wonderful host, and uh, but I, I always appreciated when they let me go on and fill in for him when one of them would take off, and just being able to talk to Dunk about things. You know, we like to kid each other about. There's a competitiveness between us, but 
uh, between making picks and uh, being in the same fantasy baseball league. There's a nice little competitiveness there. He likes to set me off. He likes to talk smack early. Like, he'll talk smack about baseball at the end of April. And I just come back and kick his ass. I mean, it's fun. And then with the cashing in with Carville segment this year, I was leading throughout early part of the season, midway through. He kind of overtook me, started talking smack. You know, I I don't know. You're better off just not saying anything. Because I'm going to come back at you. I mean, it's the West Bank nature in me. It is what it is. But it's always fun with Jeff Duncan. And uh, all kidding aside, no one has the insight that he has. And we certainly appreciate him for being a part of so many shows here on the first 56 episodes of Datitude. Now, speaking of being a big part of the show, you know, I got I to gotta say, Uncle Big Nick, I didn't know he was going to be a big part of the show, but apparently I guess he's got a cult following now. Um, so, hey, we're going to bring him on. And uh, we've been bringing him on on Fridays, but uh, we're going to switch that up here, at least for the next little bit. Um, Uncle Big Nick has just been on fire when it's come to golf picks. So why not use him for what he knows best? And there's no question it's about golf. So we are going to chat a little bit about Super Bowl and what we thought, but we're going to get into golf uh, pretty quickly. And he's going to tell you not so much who to bet, although he's going to give you his three best picks for this weekend's Genesis Invitational, but he's also going to tell you his theory on how he goes into thinking about betting on golf and why he's been so successful, especially as of late. And it's a really good listen. If you got time, please listen to it. Uh, don't turn us off just because Jeff Duncan's on uh, is gone now. But uh, if you're any if you're doing anything in the betting world, or really not, if you're just a philosophy on trying to figure out who to pick or whatever, or you, you're thinking about getting into the betting world, and even if it's just a couple bucks here and there, Uncle Big Nick's going to help you, and he's going to start right here. I guess I got to be nice to you today. Why? I mean, why change now? I mean, I ain't gonna know how to act if you're nice. Well, I mean, you, you did give me the Super Winner. Well, on Super Bowl weekend, and it wasn't nothing to do with the Super Bowl. I know, but you still gave me a winner. So it's a lucky right. winner, but it's a winner. Yeah, well, you know, I don't. They don't take points away for luck. I was gonna say. If, if I if if I lost luck, I mean I don't know that I'd ever win a poker tournament. So uh, I got to take what I can get. All right, Uncle Big Nick, um, we got you on for a couple reasons today. First, we're going on a little mini hiatus coming up after this week is over. So I thought it'd be better to bring you on on Tuesday because I mean from here on out, really, at least for the next few months, I mean we're going to be focusing you and I when we talk, um, which probably won't be every week, but we're going to talk about golf. And I know that there are people out there that might not understand the whole nuance of betting golf because, honestly, I'm just kind of getting into it. I started messing around with it last year, but um, I'm really starting to kind of get it. I guess kind of get it. That's an oxymoron. But um, there's a nuance in betting golf. And for those who are listening out there, We're going to get into that uh, for about 10 minutes in just a minute, but I want to first take your, get your take on the Super Bowl and uh, 
you know, you and I both had a pretty profitable day in multiple ways. It didn't hurt when we hit Scotty Scheffler in the golf tournament. You and I were both like, oh, football's on? Uh, it went to three overtime I Totally, holes. totally lost track of time. Three playoff holes. I didn't really start watching the Super Bowl. I think when I, when I finally started, I, I had it on the other TV, but I don't think I really started paying attention. The golf wasn't over until there was like seven minutes and 50 seconds left in the first quarter. Well, I got four TVs in one room in the Super Bowl preview. I had NFL Network on one of them, so I was just looking up at that every now and then. But golf was on the major TV, and then all of a sudden I looked down. I'm like, oh, it's after five. I said, Super Bowl fixed up the start. So right. I put it on one of the TVs, and it was the national anthem was already over. That, that's, like, oh. what, that's what I, I got did it too. right at the coin toss. I was when I started watching it. Well, I will say this, and for the P, again, we're going to get into the Super Bowl. We're going to talk about the Super Bowl for a few minutes first, but I do want to say if if there's a, if you just kind of like golf and you're just started betting and, and you got into the Caesars app or whatever app you use, DraftKings or FanDuel or BetMGM or whatever one you use, it's worth paying attention to getting some, you know, even if you sprinkle a few dollars in around, there is a lot of money to be made on golf. And let's just say that, you know, I, I bet too many, you, you got to be careful because you can bet too many uh, golfers to win and then a favorite wins and you lose everything. So that's one of the drawbacks of golf, but there are different ways to bet golf. And we're going to get into that in just a minute. But Scotty Scheffler this weekend uh, at 25 to one. So just think about it. I mean, I'm not going to, I didn't. You got uh, on him late because I had him at 33 to one. Okay. Well, I did. Yeah. I didn't make my, my bets until uh, I don't know if it was Wednesday night or Thursday morning, but um yeah, when I got him as 25 to 1 and everybody was talking about him, so his odds did go down. But you know, just think. If you if you just if you're a five dollar and a ten dollar better and you put ten dollars on Scotty Scheffler, I mean, that's two hundred and fifty dollars for you. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to figure that out. So it was a nice start to Super Bowl Sunday. Well, you figured it out, so it definitely don't take a genius. Exactly. To it out. Exactly. I mean, look, you went to Shaw too, buddy. So don't don't be trying to pretend anything. We went to the same school. We were just a generation apart. I had the same class with Ryan Clark, but he's doing a little better than I am right now. Yeah, well he he's got a few more skills than you got. Um, <laughs> Super Bowl. Uh, you know, I kind of want to go back and look. We we talked about our prop bets on Friday, and we both did very well with prop bets. Um, and I got very lucky with props. Got well, I mean, and I think both of us got lucky with that last fourth down stop. That changed everything. I mean, it's amazing how one play at the end of a game can change not just what you win or lose in a game on, on a spread or the money line or the total or whatever, but all these prop bets kind of hinged on the Rams. If you had the Rams, you talk about the way the game has to play out and the game played out fairly close to what you and I thought. It was probably a little tighter than what we thought, but neither one of us were talking about spreads. We weren't taking spreads. We both took the money line for the Rams, but all of our props had to do with the Rams being better than the Bengals, and it was oh so close. Yeah, it was. I mean, I had first half under, second half under, under for the game, but my main thing I got lucky with is Odell. I had Odell anytime touchdown score. I said on here last week, Odell – scored a first touchdown and win and that all hit and he didn't get hurt. So it, it really helped out that he caught that touchdown before he got injured. My big ones. And I'm looking at my sheet. I had, um, I think I ended up with 22 props is how many I ended up hitting. 
uh, not hitting, but uh, but betting. Now, you, it was impossible to win all of them because four of them were MVPs and none of them hit, although I will say Aaron Donald should have been the MVP. I don't care what anyone Yeah, it ain't no doubt. He changed sports writers, Yeah, Spencer. Uh, did, you sports, see, did you see the fourth and one play? Yeah, and, and but the problem With is Don- most – most of them had already put in their votes by then. No, it's, I'm saying the fourth and one play when Jalen Ramsey fell down. I you didn't notice that? that. No. There's a video online. Jalen Ramsey fell. Again? The chase is wide open. And wow. Burrow's rolling out to his side. If Donald don't tackle him, Cincinnati wins. I mean, yeah. I mean, what can you say? That's an uh, MVP. Like, I, mean, I can tell you Jalen Ramsey was not the MVP. And uh, no, no, no. I had him on my list. So of the 22, four of them were MVPs and none of those hits. So really, and I only had a little bit on, on that. So 18. But here, when you talk about one play, that last play saved me from winning the, the following. If that last play doesn't happen, I'll probably lose all of these. Rams more net yards. Rams last possession. Rams more first downs. Rams more offensive plays. Uh, let's see. Rams money line, which was my biggest bet. Um, all those things, team that scores last wins. Okay. All of those things probably hinged on that fourth down play. So Aaron Donald, although he didn't win me the MVP and only had 20 bucks on that. He, that play probably saved me from those six props. So I'll yeah. clap for, for Aaron Donald and, and thank now, why does anybody try to start a skirmish with Aaron Donald? Like, I, I do you no need idea. him to be more angry? If you just no. know you didn't do it and I didn't do it either, look up his stats after he got in that little skirmish. He was unstoppable after yeah. they pissed him off. Yeah, I was going to say, it's probably not a good idea to piss off uh, Aaron Donald. Um, it just goes to show what one person can do and how a person in the right place can have the right effect. But what were your overall thoughts? You know, it, it, I'll talk about it a little bit with Duncan and in my open. But the, it's funny how all the Saints, I'm not going to call them nudats today because I'm going to be nice because it's not all nudats. The conspiracy theorists are out this morning, uh, yesterday morning. Oh, my God. Now Roger Goodell hates the Bengals. Yeah, because, you know, Burrow <laughs> went to LSU and he's from Iowa. So, I mean, he has to hate the Bengals. It's, it's amazing. amazing. It, any any team these new dads, I'll call them that because I don't care. Cheer for that losers. It's always rigged. It's never rigged when they win. Right. Never. The, never. The, the the and they don't have any answer for the what is it? The first play of the the second half. The the grabbing of the face mask and the twist yeah, they, and the they, turn they on the offensive happen. pass interference. They yeah, that didn't happen. No idea that happened. Yeah. I I had someone tell me on Facebook because I, I you know sometimes I usually don't get involved on social media. Cause they just piss me off. So I really, I don't you normally get involved. But it's just whole, entertainment for me. It doesn't make, well, it's just I don't even look at it mostly, but I couldn't help it this time. So like the conspiracy theorists, I say, what about that? And the guy says, I knew you were going to bring that. And I love him to death. He's a cl- classmate of mine. Um, I love him to death. Yeah. Well, he's old. Yeah. We're old. But he said, he, I knew you were going to bring that up. Blah, blah, blah. But they had those ticky tack. I mean, I don't, I mean, I get the whole that they were calling things one way, but are you really going to let, I mean, I don't think any of those were ticky tack. The, the first, the first call is probably the most, if you wanted to call anything ticky tack, that's the most ticky tack of the, of the whole bunch. The guy had him wrapped around. He had his arm wrapped around the, 
the he receivers. And, he's, and, and with his right hand, grabbed his jersey and, and gave him a little tug. I mean, it's you know how bad it is. You know how bad it is that they think this is a conspiracy. Saints fans are defending Eli Apple. Oh, not a lot. Some of them are. That call on Apple, it's like, oh, I can't believe they called that on Apple. Yeah. What? Right. You hated him. We still do. <laughs> and it, I mean, the Rams did have to score twice. A they called the holding. Yeah. At the same time, they called the pass interference, and they scored on that play. Let's just say if the 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 turn was reverse. If it, if it happened exactly the same way on the other end and Cincinnati scored with the exact... It never would have been rigged. Not, there isn't rigged one single person who's calling it rigged right now would have called it rigged. Not one. Not nope. a single we person. We Yeah. I mean, no, I wouldn't have. No, because yeah, I... I, never do. I mean, that's the whole point. I mean, would we have brought it up? Sure, because it would have been a topic of conversation. I mean, but it would have changed the fate of, of my bet, Sure. But I, I'm, and I'm being dead serious. The guy that, I don't think I would have said a word. If you're the guy that brings up football's rigged every time your team loses, or every time you see, there's going to be missed calls in yeah. games. These guys are human. But if you're right, even guy, if it was a missed call, just right. accept the fact that it's rigged. or stop watching it. Yeah. Like it, if it, you're it, the guy that always screams rigged, you just you, you know you know what I mean. It's rigged. It's rigged. Everything's rigged. Oh Lord, shut up. All right. Anyway. Oh God, I had. Are we going into golf? Yeah, we're getting ready to. Go ahead. You got a last when, football when Pete, No, not football. I was going to compare it to golf. When Tiger won the Masters a year or so ago, people oh, were yeah. saying that was rigged for his comeback. How the hell do you rig golf? I don't know, but you could find a way. <laughs> I mean, if your guy doesn't win, it's rigged. I mean, it's just yeah. like my favorite is in baseball. I mean, guy hits a home run. Somehow it got rigged because something happened before then that let him hit the home run. But the dude still hit it. It's like Barry Bonds. The whole Barry Bonds shouldn't be in the hall. If you think Barry Bonds shouldn't be in the – and I'm going to go off. Can we do that that podcast today? We're definitely doing a podcast on that. Barry Bonds not in the Hall of Fame. Give me your stat before we go into golf and while I'm off on a tangent because of the whole world's rig theory. Uh, What's your stat on Barry Bonds had he struck out every single one of those home runs he had? He'd still have a better on base percentage. He would still have a better on base percentage than David Ortiz. Yeah. If if all if every single and I mean every single one of his seven hundred and whatever home runs, what seven fifty five I think or however many seven sixty something whatever seven sixty something yeah. If every single one of his home runs was taken away and he was given a strikeout, he'd still have a better on base percentage than David Ortiz. So. Forget the steroids. If he had zero home runs, he'd still have a better on-base percentage than David Ortiz. <laughs> that's, that's get amazing. out of here. Anyway, let's get to golf. All right, people have already probably turned us off. All right, um, and, and again, this is uh, people who are getting into betting um, and starting to understand and just trying to have fun with it because that's what we're really trying to do here. Now, you probably go overboard. You're not just necessarily trying to have fun with it. For me, no, I'm um, trying to retire. Yeah, well, I'm in between. I'm I'm betting more than someone who's just having fun with it, but at the same time, uh, I'm not going to retire off of what I'm betting, even if I want want every single bet because I'm not the kind of guy who's I I don't I never risk too much because I just can't. It, it I don't know if it's because of the the back when I was in my twenties, I uh, I'll be candid, I had a problem uh, and I went overboard and it was it was you had to. 
cut yourself off at some point and um I found a way to do it responsibly and that's where I'm at now and I don't bet more than I can afford to lose. So well, that's I never I never bet I mean I never bet to where if one of my guys win, I still lose. In other words, I never I'm always gonna have a profit if one of my guys win. Right. But if all my guys lose, it's pretty bad week. But I mean it just I'm never gonna have I'm never gonna set myself up so even if I win, I lose. If you get that. Well, tell us where the tell us the best way to look at going into golf and if we wanna bet some things during the week and what is your philosophy on trying to spread yourself around but not too much to where at least you know there's a good chance you're gonna even if you lose, you're gonna you're gonna have a couple winners here and there that's make it so it's not it's not an awful week. Well, you gotta look at the odds on where the guys are at. I mean, golf is not a sport to where you could just pick one guy and say, "Here's a hundred dollars on this right. guy is gonna win the tournament." So people always come up to me and they're like, "Oh, you're good at picking golf. Here's a hundred dollars. Pick me a winner." No, it's not the way it works. I tell them, "Give me the hundred dollars. I'll pick you ten guys for ten dollars. You have a better chance of hitting that than hitting." one guy for a hundred bucks, right. still making a profit. But I mean, golf, you got to just pick the guys that you think are good at the certain courses and watch your odds. That's all. And golf is a sport too, where the people who are really into it, I mean, really, really into it and follow this stuff and study it for basically for a living because golf's almost a year round thing. They make lots of profit on golf. And I've learned from you to listen to the people you could search around for, whether it be a podcast, whether it be online stuff that you can just read or whatever. There are a, a nice handful of people who know what they're talking about. And I've learned a lot from listening to them. And you talk about different people on different courses. This was like this last week, waste management, which you and I both think is one of the most fun tournaments to watch. But, uh, it was kind of set up for a guy like Scotty Scheffler, which was who we picked. And all the guys that we had picked that were on our list um, were all guys that kind of set up. They can hit it. Yeah, and, of course, like that, you had to hit it far. You had to be able to hit it far, which sets up for a younger guy, um, a guy that's in this group, or, or per se, and uh, also a guy that can get himself out of trouble here and there, and that's where Scotty Scheffler was good. But each course is different, right? Obviously. Yeah, each course has different grass, different rough, different like this course this this week is really, really hard. It's a really hard course. I mean the last couple of years it's played over par by like one shot. But it's a hard course that has the three easiest holes in golf on it. So in other words, a guy can make two or three birdies at the easy holes and still shoot like plus four. Right. Because he does bad at the hard holes. So it's it's not gonna be I mean the last few tournaments, I mean we had a guy win at 30-something under. I mean, this is one of them tournaments where I think you get 10, 12 under wins this tournament, you know, for the four days. And as far as betting goes, if you if, if somebody's got 100 bucks, would you suggest that? I mean, in my suggestion, you can tell me what you think about it. Like, if you have, if you, I'm going to take 100 bucks and I'm going to put it on this tournament. Maybe pick one guy you like the most, put 20 on him. Pick four of the guys, put 10 on them to win. This tournament's, this tournament's different. This, okay. this tournament only has 119 players. It's an okay. invitational, so it's all the best guys. Yeah. So if you take taking $100, I would do 50 on a guy you love and then spread out the other through, you know, through four $10 bets or whatever. 
But what I was going to say is you might be better off to take, take 20 or 30 on the guy you like, maybe bet four of the guys at $10 and take the rest and pick some guys you pick maybe three guys you think are top 20 and one or two of those guys, because you can bet top 20. And if one or two of those guys finish in the top 20, then you kind of cutting your, your losses a little bit and you have a chance to at least break even if you, if one of you guys don't hit. The guys that at this tournament are so good that this is normally when the cream rises to the yeah. top. And like, as an example, last week I had 25 guys to win. I bet on. And we don't this suggest week, that I'm by the way. Have 10. No, yeah. no, we don't. I'm just saying my <laughs> philosophy. Right. And I have 10 guys this week, you know, so I, it's cut down a lot. All right. So that being said, um, this is the Genesis Invitational, and it's being played in California somewhere. Where Palisades is something like that. Yeah, uh, somewhere in California. So going back to California, it's Tigers Tournament. Tigers Tournament. All right, we'll call it the Tiger Open. Uh, but I want you to give me and and again for people that are just getting into this, I highly suggest it's fun, especially when football's over. I mean, you can and you don't have to watch it every day. You can just kind of like watch here a little bit here and there. And the good thing thing I love this year is that if you have ESPN through your cable provider, you can watch uh, on ESPN plus, you can basically watch golf at any point in the tournament. I mean, you can watch it in the morning, then it switches over to golf channel. I think it finishes on CBS uh, on the weekend, um, but it's different every week, but ESPN's doing a wonderful job with, uh, with the golf coverage in the and you morning. Get Jim Nance went out. Tony Romo. So it's pretty good. Oh man. Come on. Don't get me started. Jim, Tony Rome was excellent. Anyway, um, all right, so let's look at this this tournament. we got about two, three more minutes. Give me, uh, give me your three best golfers this weekend and who you like and um, tell me why. Dustin uh, Johnson, I got him to win and top five. I mean, he's plus 1,600, 100, 1,600. This guy. Or 10 to win 160. Yeah. He loves how I'm easier at hundred of them. Yeah, no, no, no. That's what that's what the it bet is. But go ahead. And uh, but DJ's history here. He's played here nine times. I'm just gonna run through it. He missed the cut his first time he played here. He went second, second, fourth. He won it. Sixteenth, ninth, tenth, and eighth. So I mean, he's always top twenty here. Plays great here, no matter what kind of form he's in. So I got a top five bet on him, which is plus three fifty, and the. Winner bet on him, which is plus sixteen hundred. All right. Then, I like that. We've had a we've had a run of great course fit guys playing well at courses that they should play well at. First time winners. We had Liz, then Hoagie, Scheffler. Now I think it's Willie Zion's horse's time. I think it goes four in a row. Zion's the last time we seen him, he missed a putt to go into a playoff and lose to Liz by a hair. Water and boy. he's been playing well. Yeah. Water boy. He's been playing well. So uh, he, I love him for top 20 and for uh, winning. He's plus 2,500 to win. He came in 15th last year, the first time he played here. So right. I think he, he's good on that. All right. So Dustin Johnson, Willie Z. And then the last one is Matthew Fitzpatrick. Okay. He's like a sleeper pick. He's been playing really, really well. He's got two top tens his last two plays. He, he's really good on tough courses, and this is a tough course. And he was fifth here last year. 
I mean, he's 33 to one. So, I mean, I'm just throwing a flyer on him. He could win it in this field. Well, you won a 33 to one last week. So yeah, uncle big Nick has been hot. He has picked it outright. He won again. Remember he's picking 25 winners, but if you, if you hit one of those 30 to ones, you I, I know it sounds crazy, but especially if it's one of your bigger ones, like for me last week, Scheffler, I had 10 winners. I had picked 10 winners, but I had five and 10, five and 10 bucks on the other nine guys. And Scheffler was the one that I picked and I put 40 on it. So that's how I spread myself out. And so even though you're picking, you might pick 10, 15, 20 guys. If you hit any of those you're going to at least at the minimum break even, but if you hit the right one, you're going to make money. Like I said in the beginning, yeah, you, you, you can't spread yourself so thin to where you have 10 guys and one of them guys win, you still lose money. You right. don't do that. You got to do it to where, I mean, I had 25 guys last week. The least amount I could have won was like $250, $300 right. if one of my guys won. So I'm right. still doing a profit. That's all you're doing as far as a profit to me. Right. And Exactly. And to me, when if you like golf and you get into it and learn it, because I mean, look, I've always been a guy who liked golf. I was never one that watched it all the time, except for the majors. And I find myself since I've been betting and get into it. And even though it's only a little bit of money here and there, and you don't hit the big one, but if you hit two big ones a year, you're doing well. But overall, if you just break it even and you get a little something out of okay, you got something to watch on Sunday and you guys in contention, it's still fun to me. And that's what this is about, yeah. to have fun with it. And especially, again, now that football's over, we find something well, else to get into. We don't know when baseball's going to start. Now that football's over, the DFS, like the DraftKings yeah. fantasy lineups, everybody's going to be doing golf now. Yeah. So it's going to be a lot more – it's going to be a lot harder with the casual fans now. And involved. It's kind of like the Powerball. When the Powerball gets over $200 million, right. then everybody wants to go buy a ticket. I buy them every week. I don't, I don't mind winning $20 million. Me I mean? <laughs> I've said the same thing. Come on. 20 million. I'll take it. It'll be yeah. fans might not like, cause it'll probably be the end of attitude. I don't know who knows. Uh, but anyway, all right, we're going to, uh, we're going to take a little break with you and I, uh, uncle big Nick. And let's see, when's the mass is April. Thank God. When is, yeah. Right. April the 8th, uh, something like that. Yeah. So we will yeah, be on. It's in April. I don't know if it's the first weekend or the second weekend of April. All right. I think it's the first. Book it. The Tuesday before the Masters, you're coming back on, and we're going to talk. We're going to spend 15 minutes talking just about the Masters. Love it. My All favorite right. Sunday in sports, Masters Sunday. Uncle Big Nick here on the Datitude Podcast. We'll talk to you soon. And unfortunately, uh, the good news is the listeners don't have to talk to you again for, uh, don't have to listen to you again for a month and a half. I'm sure you. I'll hear from you later today. Yeah, I mean, now that I gave you a golf winner, you're going to be texting me more. <laughs> later. <laughs> later. You see, it's, it's, it's supposed to be fun, and it is fun. So this whole thing is about that. I mean, we're not going to take ourselves too seriously. And, um, you know, friendly reminder to bet responsibly. Yes, that is the most important thing. Like I said... I learned my lesson the hard way. But if you're putting, if you're taking 50 bucks and you want to pick three golfers and you put 30 on one and 10 on two others, I think you're going to, you can have fun with it. And you can watch them throughout the weekend unless they stink it up in rounds one and two and it is what it is.
try it again next week. But that is our whole philosophy, and that is to have fun on this show, and I think we have done that so far, and we're going to keep trying to do it. Hopefully, you will keep listening. Uh, you loyal listeners out there, I can't thank you enough. And remember that uh, we can't do this without you, and I certainly thank you. Datitude, if you want to know, if you haven't subscribed yet, and you're either new or you just find us every week, go ahead and subscribe. That way you can find out when the episodes come out, it is the easiest way to do that. We're on every major platform, however you're listening now, and you can always find us on bet.nola.com. That is going to wrap it up for a Tuesday. That's today. Today is Tuesday, right? Tuesday, February the 15th. It has been a fun show. Um, I want to thank Jeff Duncan and Uncle Big Nick for coming on. And reminder that on Friday, our last show for two weeks... Um, or is it our last show for three weeks? I don't know. It is our last show until the Friday after Mardi Gras. So that's two weeks. Uh, we're going to take a couple week vacation and um, enjoy Mardi Gras. Uh, those of you that I don't know, I am huge into Mardi Gras. I always have been. I'll be in the crew of Endymion. Maybe if you reach out to me at jderryattheadvocate.com or on Twitter at Jim Derry Jr., I will tell you what float I'm on. And you can find me. And I'll throw you all, all kinds of goodies. I'm not going to just throw it out there on the podcast. I can't have the thousands and thousands of people that listen come up to me on Endymion Saturday. I don't have that much stuff. Or the seven of you. But if you reach out to me, I'll tell you. Last thing before we go off the air. Thursday, February 17th is a special day in the dairy household. It is the birthday of one little six-year-old, soon-to-be six-year-old girl, Lucy Dairy. Um, my little sweetheart, my little surprise baby, my little bundle of joy. She is turning six on Thursday. She is the voice of the Uncle Big Nick intro. And we love our little girl, our favorite little fan of Datitude. So Lucy Derry, you have yourself a wonderful sixth birthday. I hope that Mommy and Daddy do a great job helping you celebrate I knew that we will, and Mardi Gras is coming up right after. We hope all of you have a great time as well. Enjoy the first weekend of parades. Well, we're not there yet. We've got to have Friday first. So come back Friday. We'll see you then. How about that? Peace and love, my friends. Peace.